Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned, and unmerited favor. We are committed to helping you make better changes in life for life. Let me go to the Word of God. I, I am—I don't know about you, but I—I I, I get super excited. I, I, it feels like I begin to breathe and I come alive when it comes to the ministration of the Word of God, especially when we just have an opportunity to open the Scriptures and allow God to speak to us through His Word. Amen and amen. Last week, I began to speak on, uh, on, on, on a subject that I said perhaps is going to become a series, and I think it has turned out that way. And I like to call this series The Grace Factor. Somebody say The Grace Factor. And last week, we, we, were, we were answering this question. What, what is it that happens when grace happens? What happens when grace happens? What happens? The impossible becomes what? Yeah, every time grace happens, the impossible becomes possible. And we were looking at this lovely couple in the word of God in Genesis chapter number 17, uh, uh, Abraham and Sarai. And the opening verse in chapter number 17 of Genesis, it says, Abraham, or Abraham was 99 years old. I, I just loved it when I was meditating that God began by drawing our attention to the time factor. So that you can, you can be so convinced that these people, they have an issue that uh, when you look at it from a, from, from a time uh, perspective, you, 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 you will be left without any question that this is a difficult situation. When someone reaches 99 years old, but they still don't have a child, but God says, you are going to have a child. And they are at 99 years old point. You can almost conclude that this situation is purely impossible. But when grace happens, the impossible, they become what? They become possible. <laughs> so this morning, what I want you to do, I want to look at part two. I'm going to, I'm going to be... Zeroing in on the same statement, on the same principle, on the same fact that when, when grace happens, the impossible become possible. But this morning, I want to just look at it from another angle. I'm speaking the same message, but I want to look at it from another angle that the Holy Spirit has been ministering me to speak to you. So this morning, I want to look at it from this angle that when grace happens, the unexpected happens. When grace happens, the unexpected happens. Now, when we talk of the unexpected, there are two faces to the unexpected. The unexpected can be good, and it can also be bad. <laughs> Where something unexpected happens to you, and it's, it's negative. But, when, but there's also the other side where you experience the unexpected, but it's so good. It's positive. Now, it's the positive side that I want to zero in, that I want to concentrate on. That when grace happens, bad does not happen. When grace happens, the, the good happens. But it's the good that you were not expecting. It's the good that you, you were not even thinking of. You were not even imagining it. But when grace happens, it's the unexpected good that happens in our lives. Amen and amen. Why, why am I bringing this word to you? I want you to have your roots. 
I want, to, I want you to come to a place where you have your roots in the grace of God. Where you, 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 you have your standing, your footing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to the book of Luke chapter number 15. One of the most popular portions of the scripture. Luke chapter number 15. Looking particularly from verse number 11. It's the story that the, those who interpret the scriptures, they have, they have decided to call it the, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. But I, uh, I mean, as a student of the word, I, 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 want, to, I want to challenge that title. That the, 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 the title did not do justice to the actual story. Because it shifts our focus on the son instead of the father. Because at the center of this story, it is not so much the son, but it is the father. So if I'm going to uh, rewrite the, 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 the subject title, the, what do you call it? The subheading. If I was going to rewrite the subheading, which I'm allowed to do. Yeah, you know, I'm not changing the scripture, I'm changing the subheading. Because the subheading was not there originally. Yeah, the subheadings, they came around the 15th, 17th century when the, when, 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 when the interpreters of the scriptures, they looked at the Bible and they said, you know what, for someone to be able to come and read and understand, let's put some subheadings so that they can, they can understand what the flow. Otherwise, before that, <laughs> it was very interesting. It was just, uh, imagine Genesis from chapter number one up to the last chapter. There were no chapters. Yeah, there were no verses. You were just going. <laughs> so what, 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 the, what the theologians have done is they have put subheadings for us and they added verses to it so that we can, we can, we can understand things can, what can flow. So if I'm going to put my own subheading to that, I would describe it as the, the compassionate love of the father to his sons. That, that's, that's the heading I would put. It's the story of a compassionate father to his two sons, because it's not just one son in that story. It's two of them. So if we look at it from that perspective, then it forces us to look from the father's point of view, not from the son's point of view. Because the one who, who is the game changer in there is not the prodigal son. It's the father. It's the father. Amen and amen. Now, uh, Luke chapter number 15 from verse number 11. Now, I'm just going to read the whole story. I don't, want to, I don't want to assume that you know it. Right? I, I don't want to assume. I know us as preachers, we tend to assume a lot of things. We stand up and we say Ephesians chapter number, chapter number 3, verse number 15. Um, you, you all know it. <laughs> and it's not everyone who knows it. Amen and amen. So I, I want to assume this morning in this session that you don't know it. And I also want you to, to listen to it and to read it as if you're reading it for the very first time. Right? Now, the Bible says, so I'll read from verse number 11 through to verse number 32. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Can you see even the writer brings our attention to the father? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. <laughs> That, that I am entitled to. 
please, Father, give me that, that portion of mine. Now, the context of this scripture is that a father, before, uh, when a father dies, or before the father dies, he, he, he accumulates some wealth that he gives to his children as inheritance. All of his children is what? His inheritance. Now, but ideally, the son can only take possession when the father dies. But now in this story, the son is asking for his share before the father dies. Now, according to the, according to the, to the customs of the Jews, uh, the sons, they had the right to possessions, right? They had the right to what? To possessions. But what they did not have the right to, as long as the father is alive, it was the right of disposition, to dispose. Right? They had the right of possession, but they had no right to dispose before the father dies. So the son comes to the father before the father dies. And he says, Father, I know that by law I have the right to possession. Can you give me my share? So he, who is the father, he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, <laughs> now I want, you to, I want you to picture this. He is spending something that is supposed to keep him for the rest of his life. He goes to a far country and he spends, the Bible says, and there he wasted. He was very careless. He wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine in that land and he began to be in want. Now, the problem was not the famine. The problem was that he wasted everything that he had which was intended to sustain him even in the times of famine. So the problem was not the famine. The problem was that he wasted everything. Next verse, verse number four, 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And the citizen of that country sent him to his fields to feed swine, pigs. Now, remember, this is a Jewish boy. And you know Jews and swine? They don't see eye to eye. Okay? Jews, or let me put it in your context. Jews and pork. <laughs> Jews and bacon. They have no dealings. Right. And now this young man, because he has wasted everything, he went to a citizen to look for a job so that he can get something because he, he hasn't got anything. And the citizen of this country, it might appear like he's giving him a job, but it's a mockery because he knows that this young man is a Jew <laughs> and Jews don't touch swine. Jews don't touch pigs. And he's saying to him, I'm going to give you a job. I'll send you to my field to feed swine. 
Now, the expected response was that this young man was supposed to have said, no, I'm a Jew. I cannot do that. And the Bible says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. The other translation says, he desired. I know when you're growing up, we're told that he began to eat. No, the scripture doesn't say he ate the pig's food. It says he had a longing that if only I could eat this. Because of the situation that he was now in. The Bible says no one gave him anything. Remember, a few months back, <laughs> he had everything. A few months back, he was there. He was on the headlines, on the newspapers, that there's a young guy who has come to the city. The young man has got everything. But now it's the other side of his story, where he hasn't got anything. And in search of having something to eat, he goes to this citizen and he asks for a job. And the citizen, as a response of mockery, he sends him to his field to feed the swines. And there he's sitting down and he's contemplating. And he's thinking, I, if, if, if only I can eat this, but I cannot. Next verse. But when he came to, his, to himself, other translation says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Next verse. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he is now devising his own plan of salvation. That when I go back home, this is my strategy. I'll say, Dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven. Please make me like one of your hired servants. Now, wh why is it this? Allow me just to explain as we read so that you can understand the context. The reason he's asking this is because he has wasted everything. The inheritance that God, that the father had given him. Now, for him to go back home without anything, he knew that culturally it was a non-start. So, the option that he is now contemplating on is that let me go back home and become one of the hired servants. When I become one of the head servants, I'm going to wake. And every time I'm getting paid, I'm going to what? To be reaccumulating the wealth that I've lost. So that I can retain my position of sonship. So as he's thinking about the plan of going back home, he's thinking of going back home not as a son, but as a servant. That's what he's contemplating on. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and he had compassion. And the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In other words, he embraced him. He hugged him and he kissed him. Verse number 21. And the son said to his father, that the plan that he had, 
And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And for me, I was waiting for the father's response to the son. Watch the father's response. The father turned his back on the son and he looked at the servants and he says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. In the norm, I'm expecting the father and the son to have a conversation. Dad, you gave me my portion. I went there. But this is what happened. But I'm coming back, Dad. I'm really sorry for what I did. And he came to the father and said, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I was waiting for the father to respond to the son. Instead of responding to the son, the father turned his face to the servants after kissing the son. He turned his face to, us, to the servants and he says, Hey, you servants, quickly, a robe. Not just a robe. What does he say? Bring out the best robe. <laughs> not just a robe, not just a garment. Not just a white cloth to put on top of, not just a pink one or what, but a best robe. Now, when you talk about the robes in the Jewish custom, it's, 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 it's very, very, very important to pay attention. Do you remember the father of Joseph? The issue that caused trouble between Joseph and his brothers, it was the best robe. The coat of many, many colors. And the father here, is responding not to the son, but is beginning to respond to the servants. As if the servants ask the question. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, on his finger. And sandals on his feet. And bring the fated calf here. And kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Let's have a party. In no time, the father threw a party. For this, my son was dead, and now he is alive. Again. He was lost and is now what? Found. And they began to marry. The party went on. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he had music and dancing. So he called one of the servants. And asked what was, what these things meant. And he said to him, you know, do you remember your brother? The one whom dead gave his portion. Do you remember your brother, your blood brother? Do you remember him? And the Bible says, yes, 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 yes. Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fated calf. When grace happens, the unexpected happens. Now, but he was angry and would not go in. That's the big brother. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. The first time that we saw the father coming out, it was towards the younger son. And this time the father is coming out again, not longer towards the younger son, but towards the the older brother, the son. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. 
What a father. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years that I've been saving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you have never give, gave me a young God that I might make merry or party with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, I, I like how brothers talk. I like how siblings talk. I know maybe you don't understand it because you've never experienced it. But those who are siblings, they know it. I, I'm just thinking of Shama and Shalom at home. Oh my goodness. It can be very interesting when they're coming to report the other. Even though Shalom at this time, you cannot hear the words, but oh my goodness, you'll be talking. And you can tell that he's reporting, he's trying to present his case. But as soon as this father, but as soon as this, this son of yours, <laughs> you know, in a polite way, would say, but dad, my brother, <laughs> But he tries to distance himself. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood or your in everything that you had with halots, you killed the fated cow for him. You know, you know sometimes siblings they exaggerate. Yeah, because you've got to ask, were you there? For you to say he spent everything with halots. He wasn't there. But because he's trying to defend what? His side. This son of yours has devoured your livelihood with the halots. You killed the fetid cow for him. Verse number 31. And he said to him, that's the father. Listen to the father's heart. Son. Son. You are always with me. And all that I have is yours. Why? Because when I divided the portion, I gave him his portion. So which means everything that is left here is yours. Verse number 32. Are, are, you, seeing, are you seeing the scripture? Verse number 32. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The sons are concerned, concerned about the material things, but the father is concerned about the life. That's how different it always be. Us as children, we are concerned about material things, but the father's heart is concerned about life. Because what matters the most in life are not material things. What matters the most in our lives is, is life, is real life. It is real life. So, the, the father's heart is inclined in the direction of the life. Your son, your brother was dead, but he's alive now. He was lost, yet now he's found. So, there is every right for us to marry, to party, to celebrate. But the brother cannot see that because his eye is on what? On material things. Somebody say, when, the, when grace happens, the unexpected happens. I like it so much when we look at Luke chapter number 15. Because even in our lives as individuals, there are times where we have come to a place where we are no longer expecting any good. Why? Because we really know that what we have done does not deserve any good any longer. It's like you had an opportunity in your life 
and you blow that opportunity away. And you come to a place where when you look carefully at what's happening around you, you don't need anyone to tell you that you no longer deserve any good. So this is the position where this younger son was in. He has gone out, he has spent everything, and he knows that from a customs, manners point of view, he knows that going back home, things are not good. And things are not going to be what to be good. He is not even expecting any good from the Father. That's why in, the, in devising his own plan of salvation, he thinks that let me go back home, no longer approaching Father from a sonship, but from a servanthood position. He's saying, let me go and negotiate, not as a son, but let me go and negotiate as a servant. Reducing himself from sonship to servanthood. So, when you look at this portion of the scripture, it paints, it paints a beautiful picture of the grace of God that is expressed through the Father. Because when grace happens from the Father, the unexpected happens. Because culturally, what the Father did, everything that the Father did was the opposite of what the culture expected the Father to do. Everything that the Father did was the opposite of what was the norm amongst the Jews. Now, there are four things that I want to draw attention to that I call the, the things that are unexpected or that were unexpected that we see particularly on verse number 20 to verse number 23. What's the unexpected in this portion of the scripture? From verse number 20 to verse number 23. Number one, the first unexpected thing that happened was the compassion of the father. The compassion of the father. That one was unexpected. It was completely unexpected. The expected reaction that was the, the community was waiting for, it was waiting to see an angry father. A father who was breath, breathing fire. <laughs> oh, I like it. That's, that's what the, the community was waiting. That's what the culture was waiting to see on the father. A father who is at the boiling point with anger. That's, that was the norm. And I can tell you that the community was ready to support the father. Because what the son did, it was a disgrace to the father. It was not only a disgrace to the father, it was a disgrace to the family. Not only to the family, but it was a disgrace to the community. How can you ask for your portion when your father is still alive? In other words, the son was asking for the death of his father. It was a death wish to come to your father and say, Dad, uh, where is your will? Yeah, that's, that's, you're wishing death to your father. I, I, I'm imagining praise going to, <laughs> to elder. Let me put it this way. I'm imagining uh, junior elder, because that's what we call him. Elder junior. Imagine Elder Junior going to senior. <laughs> and he's saying, Dad, can I have my inheritance? 
Can I have the house now? Even though he knows that everything that daddy has is mine. But by virtue that daddy is still alive, you cannot ask. It was unthinkable. <laughs> when you study the culture, the expected response from the father was to just keep quiet. As if he's okay, as if he's yet it. Goes at the back, make a good whip. And come back putting it, hiding it behind the leg. <laughs> and say, ah, oh, praise. Oh, what did you say, by the way? <laughs> and the moment he opens his mouth before he finishes the sentence, <laughs> he's receiving some good dose of, uh, <laughs> of rebuke. That is exactly what was expected. But from the word go, the father began to do what was not expected. The father said, okay, I'm going to give you. But not realizing that even though the father gave him, but culturally or according to the law, he had no right to dispose. Because you've got to remember that these people, the way that they live is different to ours. Right? They lived as families. And their wealth was in the cluster of homes together as a family. So if you're going to take something, you are not just affecting yourself or affecting the father. You are affecting the community. Because their wealth was collective. It was, it was a group thing. It was a family thing. It was a clan thing. So to come in and ask father for your possession, we can say, okay, a little bit. But to dispose it, you are beginning to cause disruption. Ways to dispose it recklessly with the Gentiles. That was even worse. That was a disgrace to the father. That was a disgrace to the family. It was a disgrace to the community for you to dispose the inheritance that the father gave you with Gentiles. But what do we see in the father's response when he came back? The father had compassion. The father had compassion. He, he, he expressed a deep sense of love towards his son. The father, when he saw him from a distance, the father did not wait. But the Bible says the father ran. I was looking at that word, ran. You know, it's not talking about that dignified running of a father. No, it's speaking, it's talking about sprinting. <laughs> Imagine Usain Bolt, 100 meters, running, he's sprinting. That's what the scripture says. He, the, the father ran in the direction of the son. Now remember, they don't dress the way we dress. Yeah? They wear these robes, these garments, right up to here. So in order for the father to be able to sprint, he needed to lift the garment a little bit. Right? In order to be able to run. And culturally, that was unexpected. It's a no-no. A father cannot reduce himself to that level. That was a sign of humiliating yourself in front of the community. But the father did the unexpected. Pulled the garment. 
humiliated himself in the community. Remember, these are people who are living in a community as a, as a, community, as a society. So we, uh, th there is no situation where you can say maybe the majority of people had gone to work. Everyone was there. Everyone was watching. And the father decided to do what was unexpected. Pulled his garment and he began to run culturally. Men were not supposed to run. That's another thing. From a culture point of view, men in, in, in the land of Judah, Jews, they are not expected to run. Supposed to walk. Why, 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 what do you rush for as a man? If you want something, it will come to you. You are your father. You ask your servants to bring it to you. You walk in a dignified way. You are a father. <laughs> Amen, fathers in the house. I'm not saying when you go home. You'll be just saying, can you bring it to me, please? Can you bring that? Can you bring that glass of water? Uh, where you can go to the sink and wash your hands, just go and wash your hands. But from these people, from their culture point of view, it was unexpected for a father to run. But what do we see? We see the unexpected happening here. The father decided to run. What is moving the father to run? It was compassion. Where the community was expecting the father to be angry, but the father chose the root of compassion. So the first unexpected thing that we see there is compassion. The second unexpected thing that we see there is protection. No one was expecting the father to protect the son. But how did the father protect the son? Let me show you here. Every time a son did something of this nature where you ask for your share of your inheritance and then you go away and you spend it with, uh, with, with Gentiles, right? When you come back home, you're coming back home, right? Everybody look at me. You're coming back home. You were going to be received by the community, but the reception wasn't welcoming. They had a custom which they called the Kezaza ceremony. Somebody say the Kezaza ceremony. Others, they call it the Kezaza, it's the pronunciation. Others, they call it the Kezaza family. But allow me to call it the, the, the Kezaza family, this ceremony. Now, this was an interesting ceremony, which was obvious and expected in the community. That when a son has done a, a, a gross misconduct of this nature, right, when the son comes back home without anything in his hands, empty-handed, the community would take a jar and they would take all the ground nuts, they would take all the, what's the other stuff in the same class of ground nuts? Round nuts. You know those kind of things? They would take all those things, put some fire, as if they want to do, in our, in our culture they call mangai, yeah? Not cooking, but put on fire. Roast, right. And they would do that, not roast until it's brown, but until it's ashes. Yeah, they would burn everything, and then they would put everything in the pot. And when the sun comes in, it was the community who would receive him and welcome him. Not welcoming him, but they are the ones who are supposed to express their reaction. And they would take that pot and they would break it in front of him. 
Sounds like Nigerian movie, isn't it? They would take that pot, put all the bent stuff inside, and they would stand in front of him, and they would break it. Now, that ceremony is called the Kezaza family. It literally means cutting off. In other words, they are saying, you and us, we are, we are no longer the same. You are cut off from the community. So, in other words, they are saying, you know what, don't even try to negotiate. You have wasted your opportunity. Go back. It's called a cutting off ceremony. So in other words, as far as the community is concerned, they consider you dead. You are what? You are dead in their eyes. You, you don't live anymore. We have no dealings with you anymore. It's called the Kezaza family ceremony, sorry. Kezaza ceremony. So why then did the father run? The father had to outrun the community. Because if the community were going to see him first, before the father, then the cutting off ceremony would go ahead. He would still be considered dead, no longer alive. But the father had to pull up the robe. He had to do the unexpected, run towards the sun before the community reaches there first. Because if the community reaches their first, the community is merciless. The community is not understanding. The community has no compassion. The community has no love. Why? Because you disgraced us. Now it's our opportunity to revenge on you. And the father saw what was about to happen. And the father decided to humiliate himself by running doing something that was not expected in the community by pulling up his robe, disgracing himself in front of the community. He chose to do that as a way of protecting the son. Protecting the son. When grace happens, the unexpected happens. And I want you to get this this morning. And I'm talking to you as an individual. That when grace happens, where the community is expecting to deal with you harshly, but when grace happens, the unexpected love of the Father, it happens. And that love is compassionate. That love is protecting. Get your roots in the grace of God. Because the grace of God will protect you. The grace of God will shield you from, from all the harsh storms of the community. The love of the Father, it will protect you. So in other words, instead of the community expressing its anger on the Son, the community was now angry on the Father. So in other words, the Father shifted the anger of the community from the Son to himself. In other words, he's saying, if you want to stone him to death, stone me. Because I'm protecting one who is not supposed to be protected by the community. In other words, he's saying, kill me. Instead of my son. It's nothing else but the love of the father. I see the gospel in there. I see the good news concerning Jesus Christ in there. The Father, in order to redeem us, 
He chose a route that was humiliating. He did what was unexpected. Who would expect a God to die on the cross? We expected a God to be spat on. We expected a God to be jailed, to be handcuffed by, the, by Pilate. We expected a God to walk like men. The Father chose a route that was humiliating in order to win us. When grace happens, the unexpected happens. When grace happens, the unexpected happens. I pray that may the grace of the Father protect you. May the grace of our Father, may it shield you in this life. When people are ready to stone you with words, yeah, nowadays they don't stone you with stones. Even church people, they stone you with words. Somebody say amen. Yeah. The Jews, their custom said, stone someone to what? To death. In church, we, it's, not, it's not spoken, but it's there. Stone them with words. And people die spiritually. And you ask, what was the cause of death? You do post-mortem, you do post-mortem as pastors. What was the cause of this spiritual death? And many times the post-mortem report says, death by stoning. Words were used. But I pray that may the compassionate love of the Father, may it shield you. May it shield you. May it protect you. Why? Because the, when grace happens, the unexpected, it happens. What's the third thing that is unexpected that we see in there? Forgiveness. The community was not expecting the father to forgive this young chap. No. There was no room for forgiveness. But the father did the unexpected. The father did the unexpected. The father forgave him. Now, this is the part that I always ask people when you're reading your Bible, slow down. Slow down. Forgiveness is not a result of repentance. I can see the faces in here. So that means I have to talk to you. I'll repeat it. Forgiveness is not a result of repentance. But a repentance is a result of forgiveness. In other words, what comes first? Is it forgiveness or repentance? No, it's forgiveness. Thank you for shouting that answer. What comes first is what? Is forgiveness. The father forgave the son before he came back home. And that is what determined the response of the father. That is why the father, you, you, you can read in between the lines that the father was expecting the son to come back anytime. That's why he was out there looking for him. Not just looking that he's going to come, but to make sure that when he comes here, I protect him first. Because in the heart of the father, I've already forgiven him. That is why Jesus Christ died on the cross before you were even born. Before he even committed the first sin. He had already died on the cross 
And the death of the cross is forgiveness of sins. Am I with you there? I know I've shocked you. I'm sorry, but it's good for you. Romans chapter number 2. Let's read that one. I think it's going to be very important. I'm just going to rush a few things. Romans chapter number 2, verse number 4. I want, I want you to master that one because it should, it should change a lot of things in your life. Romans chapter number 2. Right. Let's read it together. One to go. So what leads to repentance? It's the goodness of the Lord. What leads to repentance is the love of the Father. What leads to repentance is the, is the compassionate love of the Father. Repentance, it means change of mind. When I was reading this portion of the scripture, I concluded, just like you, that the son repented. But let me tell you, the son did not repent. Why do I say so? I know I'm shocking a few people. Why am I saying so? What drove the son to come back home was not to mend the broken heart of the father. He was angry. Yeah? He was angry. Hunger. Famine hit and he had nothing left. So which means if he had something, he would not have come back home. Do you agree, church? If he still had 10 pounds in his pocket, he would not have come back home. So as far as the son is concerned, he is not realizing that he has broken the father's heart. As long as I've got material, I don't care about my dad. But not realizing that the old man's heart is broken. What drove him to go back home? It was because when he looked at the pigs, he said, I cannot eat this. I would rather go back home and become a servant. Are you seeing what I'm saying? But when he got back home, before he even presented his, his, his planned solution of, of, of salvation, before he even said it, the father ran to him. In other words, the father left his position and he went in the direction to where the son was. I see the father leaving the heavens. Even though he was God, he did not consider himself God, Philippians 2.5. But what did he do? He took the form of a servant. He reduced himself. And he became like one of us. In order to redeem us and to save us. The scripture says it's the goodness of the father that leads to what? To repentance. Now, true repentance is a response to the goodness of the father. Am I talking to you? True repentance is a response to the goodness of the father. So that means forgiveness is not dependent on you. Forgiveness is dependent upon the love of the Father. That's why God chose to come to this world without any one of us sending a petition. Yeah? The world never wrote a petition and, 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 and said, guys, we want to reach 100,000. We want 100,000 signatures so that we can convince God to begin to talk about coming on earth to save us. Uh -uh. 
Romans, it actually says, God demonstrated his love in that. Why we were still sinners. What did Christ do? Christ died for us while we were still lost. The Father decided to forgive us through the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. While we were still lost in our sins. So repentance then is my response to the forgiveness of the Father. If my Father can come and shield me when I'm this dirty. If my Father can come and protect me when I'm so messed up like this. Then surely I need to change my mind. That's repentance. If your repentance is not driven by the love of the Father, you continue to go back. If Elder comes in and he does something to me, I'm just giving this example. I'm not, I'm not, asking, I'm not asking for your house. It's for praise. Now, if Elder comes to me and he says, uh, no, my son, Pastor Dan, I want to give you, how many bedrooms? Is I want to give you my four bedroom house. I'm just giving it to you. Right. And he gives it to me, gives me a key. And then I go home and I'm thinking, no, it's not the real. And then he brings the title deeds. The point where I'm convinced that I've been given. What do you, how do you think I will respond to him in life? I would want to do anything and everything to please him. I would go my way out to do anything to make this man happy. Why? Because of the goodness that he has done to me. The problem is if I don't see the goodness that he has done to me, I will forget everything. And one day I will even kick him in the street. One day I will even turn my back on him because I have not grasped the depth of the goodness that he has done to me. But if I fully appreciate and embrace the goodness that he has done to me, I will do anything and everything to make sure that he's happy. Repentance is a result of the forgiveness of the Father. The change of mind in me is a result of I'm looking at where what could have happened to me. But then the father came in and he did the unexpected. Surely such a father, I will do anything to him. I will make sure that I will please him. I will sacrifice for him. Why I'm responding to the goodness of the father. That alone will change my mind. So it's the goodness of the Lord that leads to what? To repentance. That's why it's important for a believer have depth of the finished work of the cross. Understand what really happened. Because the more you understand what really happened on the cross and what should have happened to you, you know what? You, 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 you become like Job, whom the Bible says the, the, the man shunned evil to avoid evil. Where others are saying, where is it? Where others are deliberately trying to, 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 to have a head-on collision. With sin so that they can embrace sin. Job shunned evil. He, he would do anything to avoid. Why? Because he understood the goodness of the father. He embraced the goodness of the father. And it's the same thing if children don't see the love of their parents. Amen, young people. 
even adults who are in here, we are still children to our parents. So amen, children. <laughs> Did you understand that? Because I really want you to get that. So the, second, the third thing that was unexpected was the forgiveness from the Father. Now, the only thing that you need for forgiveness is you need just to receive it. Is to receive it. That's all you need. And number, th- number four, which is the last one. What's the fourth unexpected thing that happened there? It was acceptance. It was acceptance. Somebody say acceptance. So in other words, when grace happens, it's the unexpected acceptance. It happens also. The father says, take the rob, the best rob. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Kill the fetid cow. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. Why? Because my son who was dead. Listen to the language of the father. My son who was dead. Because in his mind he's considering that the, the, the Kezaza ceremony has been done. And my son has been declared de- dead. So he's saying my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now alive. So in other words, the father came in and he accepted him, not, not, not as a servant. The plan of the son is what? To go back home and negotiate the, the position of a servant. But the father said, no, 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 no. A son is a son. And the father accepted him. The father accepted him. The father accepted him. And in accepting him, the father did what was not expected. But when you look at all these four things, the compassion, the protection, the forgiveness, the acceptance, the underlying force in all these things, it is the sacrifice of the father. The father was willing to sacrifice everything in order to win the heart of his son, in order to get the son back. In order to get the son back. The father was willing to do anything and everything. So, hey, good friends. So, what then do I need to do as a believer? What then do I need to do? The most obvious question will be, Pastor, what can I do to make grace happen? I I, I was thinking, what's, what's the most obvious question you are likely to ask in yourself? Is what then, Pastor, can I do to make grace happen? Let me tell you, you cannot do anything to make grace happen. No. You cannot do anything to make grace happen. You cannot do anything. But then what can you do if you cannot make grace happen? The only thing that you can do as a child of God, it is to move in the direction of the grace of God. That's the best thing that you can do. You cannot make grace happen, but you can move yourself in the direction of where grace happens. The Bible says in verse number 20 of of, of Luke chapter number 15, verse 20, it says, and then the son got up and went to the father. That, that, That was enough. The son got up when he was far away in that land. The Bible says, and the son got up and he went to the father. Can I ask you to go to your father? In life, for you to be able to experience the grace of God, go to the Father. Because where the Father is, that's where grace manifests. He could not experience the undeserved, the unearned favor of the Father in a foreign land, far away from the Father. Why? Because grace happens where the Father is. So in other words, I'm saying to you, rise up and go to the Father. Rise up and go to the Father. Rise up and make your way to the Father. That is where grace happens. You cannot make grace happen, but you can go where grace happens. 
Am I talking to somebody in the house this morning? So what do you need to do then? When grace happens, just receive it. That's the best thing you can do as a believer. When grace happens, let's receive grace. Let's embrace grace. I remember last week I read John chapter number 1 verse 16. Out of his fullness or of the fullness of Christ. From the Amplified Version, uh, John 1 verse 16. Of the fullness of Christ we have received grace upon grace. We have received favor upon favor. Do we have it? John chapter number 1 verse number 16. Yes, gifts. <laughs> Amplified version, please. For out of his fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace. Somebody say grace upon grace. And we've also received favor upon favor. Somebody say favor upon favor. And lastly, we've received gift heaped upon gift. Somebody say gift heaped upon gift. That is what we have received from the Father. So the best thing that we can do as far as grace is concerned, I'm saying receive it, accept it, embrace it. That is what will change your life. That is what will change the course of your direction. So when grace happens, the impossible become possible. It was impossible for this young man to be accepted back in the community. But when grace happens, the impossible, they become possible. I was so excited last week with some time just to sit down to fellowship with some good sisters in the house. And uh, they were sharing with us what one of the little ones said in the car. That pastor was saying, when the possible, when, 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 when grace happens, the possible become possible. <laughs> yeah, the possible become possible. So I'm saying to you, when grace happens, the impossible becomes possible. And when grace happens, the unexpected happens. The goodness of the Lord is the one that leads to repentance. May we receive the grace of God. Thank you for tuning into Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description. Until we meet again, may heaven keep smiling at you.